Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. I want to ask this question just to kick off the sermon today. If you had to guess, what is the most common command in the word of God, what would you guess it is? I think it's reasonable to think, man, you need to love better. You need to cultivate humility. Uh, You need to be sexually pure. Walk in truth. Don't curse. Don't hate. Like those would all be reasonable guesses as to most given command, but the actual most common command in scripture is fear not, fear not. The Bible talks more about fear than it talks about heaven and hell. It talks about that subject more than heaven and hell. Uh, We live in some strange days. When you turn on the news, the times that we live in can either cause you to have faith or fear. It's certainly the age of anxiety, like everybody is afraid of something. Uh, The average person has 14 major fears in their life. And a lot of people probably added a couple more in the last year and a half. Like people have these significant fears in their life. There are all kinds of fears. Some people, public speaking, I would ask who is afraid of public speaking, but you don't even want to raise your hand because you don't want the public and their attention to be drawn to you. So won't ask that. Some fear spiders. How many are afraid of spiders? Anybody in the house? Okay. All right. It's completely illogical to me, but you are literally one million times the size of that spider, and yet you are afraid of it. I don't understand it, but God bless you. Snakes. Anybody afraid of snakes in the house? Okay, I think it's important to be wise around certain kinds of snakes. Uh, Some people have a fear of confined spaces, like elevators or tanning beds. I would suggest some of you need to develop a little bit more of a fear of tanning beds. (laughs) Just going to throw that out there. I can do confined spaces. I can't do confined spaces and be hot at the same time. Like I will get, whew, I'll start getting really anxious. My wife loves it. She loves it. Her favorite thing is to walk out on a summer day in Arkansas when it's 100 degrees and 100% humidity and it's 135 degrees inside the car. Her favorite thing is to open, get inside of that car and just sit there. So pray for her. She clearly needs deliverance. (laughs) Something. Growing up, I was pretty fearless. My mom would attest to that. I was pretty fearless. Um, There there was a constant concern for my life around my house because I just, I I wasn't afraid of much of anything. Uh, I remember living in this old ranch house outside of West Coast, Colorado, and uh, we had this big hay barn. Like, like the big old hay barns. It was 30 feet tall, probably at the pinnacle. And I remember in the wintertime, 
we'd have these big snow drifts that would build up on either side of the barn. So we climb up to the very peak of the barn and jump off into the snow. Uh, my first horse, uh, her name was Dusty, and she was a quarter horse Shetland mix. And Shetland ponies are not known for being the most even-tempered animals. And, uh, and so, but she, was, she wasn't broke, she was green. And so when I was five years old, I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I think it's time for Dusty to be broke. I, I, I wanna be able to ride Dusty. And he said, well, son, she's not broke. And I said, well, then we need to break her. And so uh, we went out and put her in uh, some quarter panels and a little round arena and that was next to the barn. And it took us a while, but we finally got a saddle on her. And then at five years old, I got up on that horse. My dad let her loose and we had a rodeo. And Dusty bucked me off and my dad said, what are you gonna do? And I said, well, I think the right answer is get back on. And he said, that's the right answer. So I got back on and Dusty bucked me off again. So I got bucked off probably 12 times or so. The last time I got bucked off and I hit my chin on one of the quarter panels and bit the end of my tongue, so I was bleeding all over the place. And my dad said, okay, I think that's enough for today. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> but I was just fearless. My whole life, for the most part, I've been like that. Uh, I got a lot of scars. Uh, how many of y'all got some scars that have some stories? Uh, I got some scars that have some stories. And, and honestly, that boldness, it really did carry into a lot of things in my life. When I was going into the third grade, I just spent the first few years of school in a Christian school. And so I was gonna be going into third grade and I was gonna go to the public school. And, and clearly, going from a Christian school into the public school, everyone in public school was going to hell. Uh, I just knew that as a Christian, you know, it's like you weren't in a Christian school, so you're probably a heathen. And, uh, and so I remember getting ready to go into my third grade year and man, I was just, I, I, I got my rustler jeans on and uh, my, my boots and my belt buckle and my, my, my flannel shirt and tucked it in and man, I was, and I grabbed my Bible and I was ready to go to school. And uh, the first day, or within the first week, I would say, of being in third grade uh, and, and gathering that there really were a lot of sinful people in public school, I decided it was time to start preaching the gospel. And so during recess, uh, I went and I got up on the top of the monkey bars and I began to preach. The only verse that I really memorized was John 3.16. And so I just preached John 3.16, and for the most part, everyone just looked at me befuddled, like, what? That, what's wrong with that kid? Like, he must have been homeschooled. No, it was, wasn't homeschooled, it was Christian school, which is basically the same thing. But, uh, but I, I, honestly, I was just bold, and I didn't care. Eventually, I got in trouble. I got in trouble for preaching the gospel during recess at school. And, uh, and so, you know, they asked me to stop doing that, and, and I just kept on going. I, I honestly, I just, I just had a lot of boldness. I don't remember what happened. But at one point or another, I remember getting made fun of. And I remember when I got made fun of, suddenly this urge to have friends 
and be accepted overwhelms my boldness. And a fear of man set in. A fear of rejection. And I'm not saying that I would ever say I didn't believe in God, but I certainly wasn't bold about my witness. I wasn't bold about how much I love Jesus like I was before. Today, I want to talk about living with boldness. But to live with boldness, you have to address what causes that boldness, honestly, to be squished from the beginning. And it's fear. It's fear. I believe we need spirit-led, wise, bold Christians right now. And I specify spirit-led because a Christian who is bold and not led by the Spirit is a fool. So often. Because you just will have really strong opinions, but be out of step with the Holy Spirit, and you honestly wind up causing more damage than, than good. So let's talk about this. The psalmist said this in Psalm 34.4, I prayed to the Lord and he answered and freed me from all my fears. Some of you need to pray and ask the Lord to free you from your fears. In 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear starts in an unsound mind, completely cluttered and consumed with worldly natural thinking. And Timothy was struggling with this. And this is Paul really trying to address this. And it's clear that Timothy had an issue with fear. And I think the fear of man. As a young man, he just had a fear of what people were going to think. Paul addressed this several times with Timothy. Like, don't let anybody look down on you. Don't. He hasn't given, and he had to coach this into him because Timothy was not going to live up to his potential as a leader if he was living a life surrounding himself and creating an atmosphere of fear. So fear is, I think, one of the most damaging emotions. It can control your life. It'll limit you. And that's why over and over and over again, the greatest or the most spoken command in the Bible is fear not. Some issues with fear, the results of fear. Fear will paralyze your potential. Fear will paralyze your potential. It'll hold you back. What fear does is it takes God-created, God-envisioned champions and turns them into cowards. That's, what I think, what happens with it. And, and you can bank on this. Anytime that God begins to ask you to do something for him, your insecurities will begin to rise up. When God is ready to use you, Satan is getting ready to use fear. Why? Because God feeds on faith, but the enemy will always feed on your fear. And because Satan feeds on your fears to cause you to hold back, he wants you to settle for the status quo. How many of you ever have had to use a moving truck before? Anybody ever had to use a moving truck before? One of the most frustrating experiences, really, that any human can go through is moving in general. Um, it does help you identify who your friends are. 
uh, and who your friends are not. Uh, but, but if you've ever had to move cross-country with any kind of a moving truck or trailer, it's incredibly frustrating. But the trucks especially because they have this thing called a governor. So just when you feel like you're making progress, you're really able to get somewhere in your life. That governor will kick in and remove power so that you can only go so fast. While you watch the rest of traffic fly by you. And all you can do is sit there and watch and think they're really living life. Those people. Or go-karts. That's frustrating. It's frustrating because I'm twice the weight of my kids, but I like to win. When you ride in a go-kart, you don't go as fast as you want to go. You go as fast as they let you go. There's some go-karts where they are actually connected to a transmitter where a little high school senior punk who's running the go-karts can slow you down if they want to slow you down while you're riding the go-karts. Fear is like a governor on your life. It's like you, you actually have way more potential and power in you to do more, to do it more effectively than you could ever realize. But fear, as soon as you get to that place where the power could really start kicking in, it'll shut you down, slow you down, and hold you back. It paralyzes your potential. It creates this scenario where you honestly cannot become everything that God created you to be. It's like a break in your life. It's like hurting your knee. (laughs) I can still get around, but I'm not getting around like God created me to get around. I want you to look at this. In John 20, 19, it says, The disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish authorities. Okay, so this is right after the crucifixion. So, Jesus had been telling the disciples for years, hey guys, this is what's gonna happen. Here's what's happening. This is what's gonna happen. This is what's gonna happen, okay? And then it happens exactly like he says it's gonna happen. I think all of us would like to say, if what Jesus said happened exactly like he said it would happen, it would embolden us for the gospel. Like, The disciples had some work to do. But they have locked themselves in a room in fear. The door is not locked from the outside. It's locked from the inside. It is a self-imposed prison for them. It locks you in. What have you always dreamed of but you've been afraid of? Maybe for some of you, it's just witnessing to someone. Just sharing your faith with someone. Maybe for some of you, it was a specific ministry 
or an idea of where you could serve. Maybe it was leading a life group or, or a missions trip or a business idea. Maybe it's a relationship that you know you should initiate, but you can't stomach rejection again. Or maybe just truly giving your life completely and wholly to Jesus. Like everything. But the fear is wholehearted, man, that's like a life commitment. And I'm afraid if I become that committed to Jesus, I might get weird. Some of you have. Fanatic. I might lose some followers. I might lose my fun. What will they say? Fear will paralyze your potential. It'll also hinder your prayer life, big time. One of man's oldest problems is fear. In the very beginning in Genesis 3.10, Adam said, I was afraid and I hid from you. You see, Adam hid in fear. Adam could have courageously and boldly come before God and admitted what he had done wrong. And Adam knew that the character of God would have forgiven him, would have shown him grace and mercy. But fear causes us to cover up. Fear causes us to not be real, transparent, authentic. It causes us to lie. And I think what we wind up doing is we kind of just wind up pushing things aside. Like we just try to hide things. Like even when we come to God. God, I'm, I just want to come to you and, you know, I'm doing my best to be a good person. Ignore the train wreck in the background, God, that is my real life. That is my real integrity and my real character. I'm at church, God. I lifted my hands in worship. In the meantime, there's a mess that you aren't facing. How many of you have ever had a freak out house cleaning session? If you've ever tried to sell your house, you have definitely done this before, right? Realtor calls you up, hey, they're always so excited for you. Hey, I've got an, I've got an interested couple. They seem really motivated. They say all the words and you're like, okay, when do they want to look? Ah, can we come by in 30 minutes? <laughs> We've done this before. Suddenly you're shoving clothes in the, in, in the food pantry and you're shoving bowls of cereal in the closets. Like, just, just get it out of view. Just get it out where nobody can see it. And I think that's what will happen in your prayer life because of fear. You will try to push things and put it in places that it actually doesn't belong, trying to, make, trying to pretend like it's not a wreck because of your fear of how God might see it. I think in the analogy of your house, God is not the one who wants to show your house. God's the one that wants to live with you and see your mess. God is the God that is there that helps you move when it's time to move. God's the kind of God where you never have to be ashamed of what he's gonna see when he moves your couch. 
and you got four kids and there is enough to feed a small country underneath that couch. That's the God that we serve. He wants to see it all. He wants transparency. Why do we do that with God? We can't hide anything from him, but fear will cause you to do that and it'll hinder your prayer life. Fear will cause you to walk in insecurity. Uh, it'll erode your ability to see your own value. This, this happened in Judges chapter six. This is the story of Gideon and Gideon uh, is full of fear. The whole story is the Midianites are around. They are oppressing the people, God's people. Uh, Gideon is uh, threshing wheat, uh, meaning basically what they would do is once the wheat had been cut down, people would come behind and they throw the wheat in the air. And they try to do this on a breezy day so that the chaff, the things that they could not harvest, the things that they could not eat, would get blown away in the breeze. But Gideon, when God comes to meet with him, uh, he sends an angel to meet with him. Gideon is down in a hole with no breeze, throwing wheat up in the air on himself. Like, accomplishing nothing. There's, there's nothing being separated out. He's just covered in filth. Man, what a great picture of what fear does. <laughs> you can be doing the job and doing it completely ineffective because there is no wind of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Nothing to clear and blow away the things that are not of him. And so he's in this place and God calls him mighty warrior. He's looking up because he's in the pit and he's having to look up at the angel. Me? And Gideon responds, God, you've got the wrong guy. In fact, you've got the wrong family. You got the wrong tribe. You got the wrong everything. Here's my resume. Like, it's not that great. I was in the half of the class that made the top half possible. I'm not smart. I'm not strong. I'm not brave. I'm not a mighty warrior. You see, fear causes you to lessen your self-worth in your own eyes. Like, God, you clearly don't know what you're talking about. You don't, you don't know who I am, I guess. And God is looking at you, though, through eternal eyes of faith. You are a mighty, mighty warrior. You can change the world, and I want to use you. But when you allow fear to have a stronghold, that insecurity will argue with God. You got it wrong. Pick someone else. I can't. Look, I pray with everything in my being that God would stir up in you and stir out every ounce of fear in your life. That faith would stomp out fear in your life and you'd see yourself exactly the way that God sees you. Fear will also sabotage success. Job 3.25 says this, everything I fear and dread comes true. 
So in a lot of respects, fear can be like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Have you ever said this? Well, I was afraid this was ha- would happen. I was afraid this was going to happen. Well, guess what? The Bible says this, Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks, so is he. So is he. So a lot of times we just set ourselves up for failure because of fear. The Bible says to think on good things, pure things, holy things, praiseworthy things. There's this book called The Strong and the Weak. There's this quote that's so good. Fear creates what it fears. Fear creates what it fears. So the fear of becoming just like your father or mother causes you to focus so much on them that you become more and more like your mother and father. The fear that you can't keep a commitment in a relationship causes you to have heart, half-hearted relationships and failure is inevitable. The fear of disappointing someone prevents you from acting natural so you end up disappointing them. I've done this. Hey, am I disappointing you? I feel like I'm disappointing you. I think I'm disappointing you. Do you still love me? I love you. Do you still love me? I don't feel like you love me anymore. They hadn't said a word. Just stop it. Stop trying too hard. The fear of growing old will cause us to grow old prematurely. The fear of losing your girlfriend-boyfriend relationship causes you to act in a way that drives them away. One study discovers that 40% of all fears about the future never happen. 30% of fears about the past can't be changed. Yeah. 12% are needless fears about your health that you don't need to have. 10% are petty fears and not worth even thinking about. Only 8% of fears are legitimate, and trust me, they have nothing to do with your favorite sports team. Like, they, they, that, that is so eye-opening to me. Only 8% of the fears are even legitimate, but it's not saying these things are gonna happen. There's just things that could happen, potentially. So let's get into the solution side. How do you drive fear out of your life? And let me be clear, you have to drive it out. It is like a rodent living in your home. When Cody and I first got married, the first place we lived in was this single wide construction trailer. Uh, Long story, just making it short. The first night that we slept in that house, we could hear mice running around in the ceiling all night. How many of y'all know it's hard to sleep well when mice are running around in the ceiling tiles? So the next day, I got a bunch of mouse traps. I'd probably say a dozen mouse traps. And then that night, we could still hear them. The next morning, every one of those traps was full. Every one of them had a mouse in it. And I'm like, well, we did it. Nope, next night, they're still up there. Still going around, set some more traps. Next day, full. I had to do that for a couple of weeks before we got all the mice out. It's like that movie Ratatouille. (laughs) That's what was living up in our ceiling. And the thing is, you can't lay there and wish them away. 
You can't lay in bed like, oh, maybe they'll go away someday. No, they're just going to procreate. They're going to keep on going. That's what they're going to do. You have to kill them. You got to drive them out. And that's what you have to do with fear. To live with boldness, God's voice has to be the loudest voice in your life. It has to be way louder than anything else. If you watch what happens with with Gideon in Judges chapter 6, eventually Gideon started listening to God's voice. The angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. Verse 12 says, The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The irony of that. Like this guy's afraid of his own shadow. The Lord says, You're a mighty warrior. This would be like God coming down from heaven and saying to me, the Lord is with you, amazing hip-hop artist. Like, this is, this is not a reality in my life. But it's the very thing that no one has ever told Gideon before. Because it seems crazy. But that voice, that voice that doesn't seem logical, that doesn't seem reasonable, but that voice from God, that has to be the loudest thing in your life if you want to live with boldness. Number two, to live with boldness, receive God's word of encouragement. Because God will encourage you. Listen to it. Fear typically will take you to the worst case scenario. Um, I will make a little bit of a confession. I've discovered that I am a slight, slightly hypochondriac. Like, I... I do feel like maybe I make a bigger, like I don't even know if my knee is actually injured. It may not be. I might just be making this up. But I, I have realized that I have, there are some things that I will, I will create this bigger, like there's been, there was a time in my life when I'm just having this major pain in my side. I'm like, man, that could be cancer. Like I don't, that could be cancer, you know? And I went and got blood work. My blood work's fine. I had a little bit of gas, I guess. I don't know. It wasn't cancer though. I get a headache. Well, that's, that's probably an aneurysm, like I'm going to be dead in three minutes. This is going to happen. This has been a little bit of an issue with COVID. Like I'll be around people, and even when people are talking about having COVID, like they'll start talking about COVID, and all of a sudden I'm like, my chest feels kind of... <laughs> Cody, do I feel warm to you? They got warm. I can't smell anything. What voice are you going to tune into? When we started pastoring here, Satan told me every week that no one was going to show up. And I had to tune that voice out and listen to the voice of God. Listen to his encouragement. To see my potential the way he wanted me to see it. When God starts to work in your life, uh, he wants you to get a new view of you. He wants you to get a glimpse of your potential. Uh, This was a big difference between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were always speaking to the false and failures and limitations of people, and Jesus was always speaking to people's potential, what he could see in their life. You're gonna have to tune in and get a word of encouragement from the Lord to live boldly. 
to live with boldness, never forget God is with you. Never forget God is with you. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. One of the names of God in the Bible, how God describes himself, is Jehovah Shema, which means he's the God that is here. Wherever there is in your life, God is in the middle of that there. He is. With God, his strength, with your weakness, is exactly enough. Exactly enough. One of my biggest weaknesses is sermon preparation because I never feel like it's ready. Um, and I've shared a little bit of this, but pretty much every Sunday afternoon, I get what I call, I don't get it near as much now, but I still get it. It's called PPD, post-preaching depression. And, uh, and what happens is I think about the day. I think about the sermon. I think about the service. And I start to microanalyze everything that I said and did. And, and I'll start thinking, oh, if I said that, that, that is definitely going to offend people. And they're not coming back next weekend. And sometimes I'm like, and I'm okay with that. And, uh, but other times I'm like, I didn't need to say it that way. Like I, what I just said, like I didn't need to say it that way. But I overanalyze those things. And, and honestly, I can get really de- depressed. Like I'm like grumpy, mad. And the truth is, this is the truth. I'm not good enough to feed you guys spiritually. I'm not but God, but God, he's with me. He's with me and he gives me exactly what I need. And the thing is, God takes my biggest weakness and he makes it a strength and he uses it as a strength. He adds his strength to my weakness and it does something positive. I've seen this. People misquote me all the time on Facebook. They're like, oh, Pastor James said this. It was so good. I'm like, I didn't say that. I don't know what you're talking about. So they can come up to me. Oh, that was so good what you said. I'm remembering exactly what you said. I'm like, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Like, you should write a book. I'm like, but I didn't say that. That's not what I said. I don't know what you're talking about. Because God has a way of using things that are broken and and helping people. God's responses to fear in the Bible are this. I'm sending you. I'm going to be with you. You can't fail. Because I'm with you. In 1 John 4, 8, 18, I love this. This is a cool translation of this verse. Love contains no fear. Indeed, fully developed love expels every particle of fear. For fear always contains some of the torture of feeling guilty. Love contains no fear. They don't coexist. You can't truly love and be fearful. What is perfect love? Well, what it's not is it's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Perfect love is Jesus. It's Jesus. 
And the word, Jesus is heading somewhere and there's a big crowd around him. And the word talks about this woman and she, the, the word calls her within, or says she has an issue of blood, okay? So she's got some female issues and she's been having a major issue with this for 12 years. Uh, because of the law, because of the old law, she's not supposed to be around people. For 12 years, she's supposed to separate herself from everyone under that law. One day, she just is desperate. And so she, she comes out of her home because she's been hearing this, these whisperings and these mentions and these rumors of Jesus and his ability to heal. heal. And so she, she works her way out of her house and she starts pushing through the crowd and, and she comes up behind Jesus and, and all she does is she just reaches out and touches his robe, like the, the, the edge, the hem of his robe. That's all. Not him, just a piece of his clothing. And in that moment, she encounters God in the form of divine healing. But one of the most profound statements, I think, is when it says, and Jesus turned around. <laughs> he wanted to find the woman. Do you know why this woman doesn't instantly reveal herself? Because she's afraid and she's convinced that Jesus would be upset with her. So she cowers and hides in fear. He'll reject me. He'll remind me of what I've done wrong. And I feel like there's a lot of people, and maybe some of you right now, like her, that in fear, this is the most that you'll do. If I can just get a blessing on the backside of God, that would be great. There's just too much junk in my life. I can't come face to face with Jesus. And where she was sure she would get condemnation and rejection, the exact opposite was true. Jesus meets her with acceptance and approval. And Jesus, perfect love, drives out the greatest fear and intimidation that she had. And he wants to do the same with you. But I think you have to come face to face with him. Don't just keep trying to come on the backside of what God is doing around you and catch a little blessing. No. Come face to face with Jesus. Let him touch you and heal you. Let him give you a word. Let him throw out your insecurities. Let's close your eyes, bow our heads. If you're here today and you know you need a face-to-face -face with Jesus, the most important thing is that you have a relationship with him. And there may be a couple people in here that don't have that. If you're honest, you're away from God, you're away from Jesus right now, you need to come to him. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. We won't get into the theology of it, but maybe you feel like you made a genuine relationship or genuine commitment to relationship with Jesus, but in your heart, you have no confidence about that relationship right now. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to him. Whatever the case may be, if you're away from Jesus, 
He's ready to come face to face with you. He's ready to touch you, heal you, encourage you, and affirm your value to him. If you're here today and you know you need to call on Jesus for the first time, the first time in a long time as Lord and Savior, nobody's looking around. Would you be bold enough, though, to admit it, confess it, that you need Jesus? If you are, would you put your hand up right now? Across this room, as soon as you see your hand, you can put it down. Got it. Got you. Yes, ma'am. Got you. Yes, ma'am. Got you. Got you, brother. Got you, brother. Anyone else? I'm just away from him. I need a relationship with him. I'm ready to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Okay. Father God, thank you for each one of those people that just raised their hand. Lord, I, I ask. No, I just know. I don't have to ask because I know it's true. I know you're here to meet with them. You're here to bring your grace, your acceptance, your love, your encouragement. If you raise your hand, I encourage you to go public with this decision. Tell somebody. I encourage you to say this prayer out loud right now. But even if you don't, in your own heart, just say this. Say, Jesus, here's my life. And I know I need a savior. I know my sin separates me from you. I ask for your forgiveness for my sin. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the grave, defeating my sin, defeating death itself. And right now I'm ready to come face to face with you and let you change me and transform me and heal me. I'm ready to come face to face with perfect love and let that perfect love cast out all fear. Thank you, Lord for a new life in you. And I thank you, Lord, that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of courage, of love, and a sound mind. So Lord, let every mind, will, and emotion in this place be set free from every noise, from every headline, from everything, God, that we cannot control but that you are Lord over. And let us confess our undying devotion, love and surrender and faith in you, Jesus. And in trusting you, let us grow in a confidence of our identity because of the cross, because of our value in you. Let us stand on your word and let your voice be the loudest thing in our lives. And Father God, we know that you're with us. You're with us. No matter where we go, you're with us. Help us be more sensitive to your presence, God. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.